I am happy to stand before you this morning and to welcome you all as well to our church. We're so glad that you're here today. This is really a historic occasion. Uh, some words have already been said about our wonderful banquet last, last night. I think it was, the, it was just over the top. And uh, I want to thank Lee and Cheryl for putting together that worship medley of 43 songs that the church has sung since 1972 until today. It really was a wonderful experience. Well, we have uh, recognized and honored, I believe, the charter members of our church today, but we also want to make recognition this morning of those who have served as pastors within our church over the years, and I'm going to have them and, and their wives stand at this point in time, and if you would hold your applause until we have uh, introduced all of them today. I believe that Darren and Rhonda Patterson are with us today. Where are you guys? Up in the, bal the balcony area. There they are, way off in the, in the shelf on the, on the side there. Good to have you guys back. Darren was our youth pastor here for about four or five years, and they reside up in the Huntsville area now, and Darren works at Pioneer Camps. Then we have Godfrey and Vanessa Thorogood with us, and uh, Godfrey was uh, an associate pastor here. There they are, right here at the front. Uh, he was here from, I think, the year 1987 to 1992, somewhere around there. And um, we're so glad that you are here. You served with Pastor Lambert Baptist during that time. Of course, we know that Pastor Lambert has gone to be with the Lord. His wife, Marie, is still with us. And I'm sure she'll be watching online at some point in time. But we want to recognize Pastor Lambert's ministry as well. And Gord Baptist and John Baptist are here. He's the only guy apart from John the Baptist that I know that has that name. And they are the sons of Lambert. And we're going to ask them to stand as well. And then over here we have our um, first pastor and his wife, Brian and Linda Baxter. And Brian will be coming in just a few moments to share a few words with us. But uh, if you would please welcome and recognize these individuals today. I'm going to ask Brian to come right at this point in time. Hard to believe, Brian, that when you came here, uh, to pastor West Highland, you were 25 years of age. I'm a, I, I, I should ask you how old you are now, but I won't. <laughs> but we're very, very glad that you're here. Please bring greetings to us and share uh, what's on your heart with us. Well, I certainly could not imagine 50 years ago, but today I could be standing here. That's uh, been uh, an amazing journey for, for West Highland. And uh, wonderful, and I, I just thank the leadership for giving me the opportunity for Linda and I to be here today. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be here. Um, I, I was given three questions. I understand the, the original group were asked to create questions that might be answered by somebody, and, and I've gotten three of them. One of this, well, the first one is a favorite memory of their time uh, or the people they worked with. In, uh, uh, wh while we were here, um, uh, your pastor has mentioned that uh, I, I was 25 uh, when I came to West Highland. Uh, I had hair then. Uh, the, the barber that I used here had to take uh, thinning shears to uh, thin my hair. Uh, don't need that anymore. Um, and now it's, uh, it's 50 years later, I am 75. And, uh, you know, all of the, most of the people in the church were older than me. In fact, I kind of calculated that Ken Hages must be about 105 now. <laughs> so, uh, 
you know, I wrote down three words that sort of represent what I remember about those years in terms of the people of the place. One was enthusiasm, the other was anticipation, the third one was commitment. Now, if I was woke, I would say there just was a vibe in the place that I think has lasted for 50 years. I really do. Uh, my first experience after having candidated in November of 72, we came in February of 73, uh, after candidating and agreeing to come, we were up in Barrie at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Barrie, and uh, New Year's, well, it was New Year's Day, I, we got a call at 5 a.m. in the morning to well, or to wish us Happy New Year. And uh, Ken Hages was the instigator of that, I think. That's why I'm trying to get back at him. Uh, what they didn't know is they didn't, they didn't really get us because we were out all night with the youth group at Emmanuel Baptist Church and we'd only gotten in about 15 minutes before the call came. So that was good. But... Uh, um, so, I, when, when that conversation happened, I thought, well, you know, they're, they're kind of weird, but I think I can work with these people. <laughs> I love these people, and that, that, came to be, that came to be absolutely true. The personal memories, of course, that I have here of West Highland, our twin girls were born here at St. Joe's. They're now 46 years old. And, uh, and in fact, there was at the convention church, there was, there was a Baptist church, there was a, a couple there. They had three sets of twins. So we decided to call our girls Alpha and Omega. <laughs> well, their real names are Carrie and Christy. Uh, so in fact, they were, they, were, they, were, they were born in May. And of course, May is Mother's Day, so a week after they, these little girls arrived in our home, uh, I got up to preach the Mother's Day sermon and dispense all of my great wisdom how to raise children. So that was a good experience as well. Lori Hages, I, I, I can never remember Lori's uh, married name, but she did a lot of babysitting for us and in those years. The second question I had was a, a, bless, a blessing experience during their time at West Highland. Well, the whole thing was a blessing. I, I was aware of that at the time, but uh, as I matured in my ministry and life, I came to realize how important this first church for me and for Linda was to our future ministry. I worked for 17 years in our, well, for 12 years in our national fellowship and five years in British Columbia on staff there, traveled a lot of churches, did church consulting and all kinds of things. And I have seen some young men destroyed in their first church because somehow the congregation and the leadership expected 25 years of pastoral experience in a 25-year-old and you can't have it. And uh, so I was so grateful. I, you know, I made some pretty good gaffes in those first five years. But the leadership, and when I say the leadership, please understand that I, I'm also referring to all the men and women who were the core body of this church and how, how well they treated. And when, when I needed correcting, they did it gently and kindly and helped. In fact, they really laid the groundwork for the rest of my ministry. 
for our ministry. And that was very, very vital to us. Godly, competent lay leadership is critical to any church. And uh, those qualities uh, related to the pastor that they call, especially young pastor, was really good and very, very important to us. It helped us become what God wanted us to be. And uh, now I've said uh, that all of them were, were older than me and they treated us with wisdom and with, uh, with, great, with great kindness. The third question I got was about uh, a closing blessing. Uh, and, and God has blessed this church for 50 years, and if you stay truth, true to the Word of God and the message of salvation through Christ, God will continue to bless you. So I, I'm praying that, that God will bless you as you continue to build on what has already been accomplished. Uh, we don't know when Christ is going to return. A year from now, a decade from now, a century from now, a millennium from now, we, we simply don't know that. And, and a culture that is moving, has moved from acceptance and uh, blessing the, the work of Christian churches to uh, an attitude of simply tolerance and now increasingly intolerance of the message of Christ. I'm praying that you will remain faithful to the message. Some have not and have moved away from the, the message of the gospel, that, as the Apostle Paul calls it, the, the message first given to the saints. And I pray that you will stay faithful to that message. May your faithfulness see many people moved into the, continue to be moved into the kingdom of God. You will be blessed, and then God will say one day, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful church. Thank you. I thought for a moment you were going everywhere preaching the gospel, so. <laughs> we are so glad to have you both with us today, and just as uh, plaques uh, were presented to, to the founding members of the church, we want to present this plaque to you on our 50th anniversary. You presented to Brian and Linda Baxter with sincere appreciation for your leadership and faithful servants as the first pastoral team, West Highland. Baptist Church. Thank you. God bless you. Our speaker this morning is Steve Jones, the president of our Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches in Canada, a position that he has held since 2011. Now, prior to this, uh, Steve served in four of our fellowship churches, two as a youth pastor and two as lead pastor. I have known Steve since 1989 when Andrea and I returned from the Philippines. We got to know him and his wife, Marilyn, and they invited us, Andrea and I and our four kids, to spend a few days at a cottage in Prince Edward County where we got to know them even more. Now, in addition to being an outstanding pastor, leader, and communicator, Steve is an incredible watercolor artist, and we have one of his paintings on our cottage wall, and we cherish it very, very much. There's so much more that I could say about Steve, about this dear brother, but for me, the most important thing is, is that he is a close and a dear friend. Would you please welcome Steve Jones 
to West Highland. Well, good morning, everyone. And on behalf of the uh, Fellowship National Council and your fellowship family of over 500 churches across our nation, I get the joy of uh, congratulating you on this auspicious occasion. The 50th anniversary of West Highland Baptist Church is not a little thing, it's a big thing. Many churches don't, <laughs> they don't celebrate their 50th anniversary within the fellowship or otherwise, and so to see the vibrancy of this church family after five decades and still growing, uh, I just want to give thanks to God. I heard you had a great celebration last night. I wish I could have been with you. I think just getting together after COVID, anybody's looking for an opportunity for a party, and I understand that's what happened last night. And so we celebrate with you on this wonderful occasion. This morning was really a joy. I mean, that last... Um, uh, choir piece that uh, Pastor Lee did on, on the screen was just uh, an incredible encouragement to my heart as personally. What a joy it is to be with you this morning on your 50th anniversary. Uh, as John has said, John and Andrea have been my wife, Marilyn, and I, dear, dear friends. We call them BFFs for the last 30 plus years. And uh, it's a joy to be with you, John and Andrea, on this very important day. John did ask me to just give you a little bit of an update on what's happening in the fellowship, and so I'm going to do that before we get into God's Word. Um, it's been really a good two years. I was at the beginning of COVID thinking, oh Lord, it's going to be a tough two years. Just where are things going to be going with our churches? Where are we going to be in partnership with our local churches as a national fellowship? As many of you know, the national fellowship comes alongside of our churches in partnerships on the international field, relief, the foundation, francophone ministry, chaplaincy ministry, and a number of other things. And I was anticipating it to be a lean, a difficult time, and it has been probably two of our greatest years, at least in the 11 years I've been in the role as president. We, uh, we appointed 15, 15 career long-term missionaries. That represents over 30 individuals in the last two years. For us as a mission, that's huge. We appointed 55 new fellowship chaplains in the last two years. There are now 142 fellowship chaplains serving across Canada. Our fair department, which was part of Fellowship International, but in 2015 I, I yanked it out of that department and made it its own department because I thought churches were wanting to do more in relief and development and justice issues. And it's been one of the most gratifying things for me to see our churches getting involved in these ministries. I mean, and before 2015, we had a, a ministry that FAIR would probably see about a half a million dollars of donations in the last two years. We're just shy of $4 million that has come in through fellowship churches and donors, and we have been able to just come alongside and alleviate suffering in people's lives all over the world. I brought a couple of things with me this morning, and they're out on, the, on an invitation, uh, inf information table. It's the latest uh, edition of our Thrive, our national magazine Thrive. This one's on church vitality, on church health, and stories galore related to church health across our country and internationally around the world. And the other thing I would like to bring to your attention is this little brochure, and I've brought a pile of these brochures. Our FAIR department, which is our relief, development, justice, issue department 
It started in September of 2019, a child sponsorship program, because we now, as a fellowship of churches, are caring for six different projects in four different countries, Honduras, Dominican Republic, Sri Lanka, and Lebanon. I leave at 6 o'clock this evening for Lebanon to see a couple or three of these actual projects that we are involved in. The way we are sustaining these projects are through child sponsorship programs. It's very similar to World Vision and compassion and we're making this an opportunity for fellowship people within our fellowship churches to adopt and come alongside of these children I would love the family here at West Highland to pick up go online find out more information there's plenty of videos you can see the kids on the actual in the actual settings and then come alongside at $35 a month and become a child sponsor we need your help to be able to sustain these projects that we believe God has given to us as a fellowship to care for in the these different, four different countries. Francophone ministry, in the last two years, we've seen 32 new partnership churches come alongside to church plant in Quebec. We've actually planted about 17 churches in Quebec in the last decade. And we praise God for that. One of the most needy, needy group of people in the world, spiritually speaking. Our foundation, which was started in 2015, and our director is with us right up front here. You know what? Gord, why don't you just stand up once again? Let everybody see my fellowship advanced director. Isn't he a handsome, handsome guy? <laughs> oh, he loves that. <laughs> Gord would love to come and sit down with you or have opportunity to share related to our foundation. His job is basically to help God's people be generous for the Lord and to establish in their estates the same values you've been living for all your life now and make sure it's reflected in your estate. And we've seen that since 2015 grow to over $13 million. And so I thank God for God's people and the generosity of people like you. So that's how your fellowship is doing. That's what you're a part of. You probably don't know it, but you're part of something much greater than yourselves. And together we are stronger. Amen? So we celebrate 50 years and uh, when Pastor John asked me to come and be with you this morning, he said, would you be able to take a look at this passage that we are really making uh, the theme, the theme of our time together, which is in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And I've present, I want to investigate spiritual growth from this passage in Colossians 2, 6 to 10. Spiritual growth, we're going to investigate some principles related to the importance of growth in a message I've entitled, The Goal of Growth. Well, a man in Minneapolis uh, lived in an apartment and he became disgusted by the cockroach problem in his apartment. And so one day he finally said, I've had enough of these cockroaches. And he went to his local hardware store and he bought 12 cans of insecticide. And this was not just the you know, aerosol cans that you spray. These are the, the pull tab cans, like a pop can, you know, yet that you pull off. And he came and he taped up all of his windows and he, he opened up these 12 cans and put them in strategic locations throughout his apartment, then closed the door and he left. Two hours later, a firefighter on the local news said, you could hear the explosion five kilometers away, and explained that a, a lit pilot light in the man's kitchen actually uh, caused this huge explosion as the insecticide was lingering through his apartment. 
Uh, he said, the damage is hundreds of thousands of dollars. The entire side of the apartment building has just blown right open onto the street, and thankfully there was no loss of life. But he said, the interesting thing was, all of the man's furniture was blown to bits. But you couldn't help but notice all these cockroaches scurrying through all the debris. And so the moral of the story is this. It doesn't matter just because something is big and something is loud. It doesn't necessarily make it effective. For the better part of the 50 years of your church, in Canada, we have been offering some of the biggest and loudest, splashy church tools, church growth tools, church spiritual growth tools. There has been all kinds of curriculum and resources and tools have been created and established, whole ministries established for the spiritual growth of God's people the last five decades. And some would argue we are currently in one of the greatest discipleship crises of our times. Recent surveys, studies over the past decade consistently, consistently show there is a tremendous biblical illiteracy amongst God's people. God's people don't know the word. They're not spending time in the Bible. In a recent survey study, just 2022, this year, entitled The State of Theology in the Church, was prepared by Lifeway and Legionnaires, two very reputable evangelical ministries whose sole purpose, their very existence, is to help God's people grow in grace, to spiritually grow. That's why they exist. For the last uh, number of years, every two years, they put out this State of Theology in the Church report. And in this year, in 2022, the trends are discouraging. 65% <coughs> 65% or two in three, two in three evangelical Christians in the survey agreed that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. And so the very biblical concept, <clears throat> the biblical concept of original sin is being questioned. If that's being questioned by two in three evangelical Christians today, universalism is the next natural step. And if that's the step, then why share Christ? Why do we even bother witnessing? Why send missionaries to Pakistan or anywhere else in the world if everybody's going to heaven? The survey also discovered 48%, or one in two, evangelical Christians agreed that God changes. And so his truth claims evolve and adapt to the times. This opens to theological concepts like open theism. And if that's taking root in the popular understanding of evangelicals in Canada, if God is not immutable, if God changes with the times, can he ever truly be trustworthy? The survey also reports 26% or one in four evangelical Christians agreed that the Bible contains, quote, helpful myths and should not be taken literally. The theological concept that the Bible is without error, what we refer to as inerrancy, has been one of the great four tenets of evangelicals for decades. Bebbington's quadrilateral 
speaks of four specific tenets of evangelicalism, one of them being biblicism, or that God's word is without error. We should trust it to guide us in all faith matters in life. The growing belief among evangelical Christians that the Bible's truth claims, if that is called into question, it somehow helps us to understand why many evangelicals, and I would say especially millennials, the surveys show over and over again, millennials, they can believe that religious faith is really in a subjective experience rather than objectively true. The times, they're changing. It's not like it was 50 years ago. There are assumptions that we can have that we can't have anymore when it comes to evangelicals in our churches. Millions Possibly billions of dollars have been spent on producing really good material, resources to help us grow, spiritually grow, Sunday school curriculums. But it could be argued that biblical illiteracy and that the depth of spiritual maturity is of great concern in our churches today. The 18th century humorist Mark Twain once said, it's, we're like the River Platte, a mile wide but an inch deep. We're big and we're loud, but we are also shallow. And this is the concern of which I want to address this morning. But before we go to Colossians 2 to address some of and investigate what it, some concepts related to spiritual growth, I want to go to James first, to James chapter 2, and discover an insight related to saving faith. Because before you can grow spiritually, you must be born again. You must have acknowledged and received Christ as Savior. You must ensure that your faith is actually true and living. I mean, many have treated through the ages the book of James unfairly, claiming that James's letter contradicts the New Testament teaching that salvation is by faith alone, not works. Listen to James chapter 2, verse 14. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith can't save anyone. When he read this verse, the 16th century reformer, Martin Luther, came to the conclusion that the book of James was an epistle of straw. And he wanted to jettison the book from the New Testament canon. Luther did. But it needs to be understood that James's claim of faith without deeds as being dead is not a contradiction to the Apostle Paul's great work in the, in, in the book of Romans that, that saving faith is by faith alone. Both Paul and James are talking about the same thing, saving faith. If salvation was pictured as a tree, picture it as a tree, picture a tree in your mind right now. The roots of the tree is faith alone, while the fruit in the tree is represented by faith-filled deeds. Paul's focus has been on the root of salvation or what happens to me on the inside at salvation. While James's focus is on the um, fruit of salvation or what happens to me outside after salvation. Too many believers have been focusing so much on Paul and have ignored James. They're talking about the same thing. They're just looking at saving faith as the same coin, but looking at two sides of the same coin. 
coin. Paul's focus says, you can't work your way into heaven. It takes faith to please God. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 makes that clear. James's focus says, you must have faith to please God, but the only faith that pleases God is a faith that does something. Both authors are speaking of a dynamic faith, not a dead faith. James is saying that professing faith without a lifestyle of faith is no faith at all. In fact, he emphasizes six times in the latter 13 verses of James chapter 2. He emphasizes this six times. It's hard not to miss it. It's hard to disagree with what James is saying related to saving faith. If your faith, if your faith shows no evidence of the faith you claim, your faith is not real according to the word of God. Real faith is growing. It's active. It's alive. Forty years ago, I sat in a chapel at my seminary and I listened to a gentleman share his testimony. He was in his mid-40s. And he was sharing a testimony of how he had just very recently come to Christ, which was a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing to hear. But what was so extraordinary about this man's testimony was that he had just come to Christ while he had for the last 20 years been the Sunday school superintendent for a Fellowship Baptist Church in Fergus. And in recent years, he had actually been the chairman of the deacon's board in a Fellowship Baptist church. I found that absolutely extraordinary to hear this, that the chairman of a deacon's board in one of our fellowship churches was not certain of his faith. What had happened, he had said a sinner's prayer as a child, but was raised in a godly home, went to youth group, but discovered in his adulthood that he had no hunger. I mean, you go to church every Sunday, he was the chairman of the board. But Monday, there was just no hunger for his word. There was no vibrancy or even victory in his life over sin. And the full weight of his spiritual state being true during a message, during a week of renewal, renewal messages with a, a group that had come to the church. He finally, in his words, surrendered his life to Christ. Hallelujah! And as a young 22-year-old seminarian, I listened to this man, and I was blown away. This rocked my mind that this could actually occur in a fellowship Baptist church. How was it possible that the chairman of the deacon's board, one of our fellowship churches, had been deceived in believing that everything was hunky-dory, okay spiritually, when his spiritual life was actually in jeopardy? James repeats it six times in the 13 verses, verses 14 to 26 of James chapter 2. A faith that bears no fruit is not saving faith, no matter what you said in the sinner's prayer. My faith, if real, must be growing. Otherwise, it might actually be a counterfeit faith. Real faith is not just saying something. Real faith is evidence that we're doing something. Now, I recognize these words that I'm sharing with you are sobering, sobering words. But I am hoping they are sobering enough that you will take honest to goodness, uh, a spiritual inventory of your spiritual life and where you are truly at in Christ. 
Because some of you may this morning have been resting on something that is counterfeit and false. It's time to be honest and go to the Lord. Now it's time to investigate spiritual faith, spiritual growth. And so we go to Colossians chapter 2, and I encourage you to go there in your Bibles, in whatever form you have, Colossians chapter 2. And Paul states in Colossians 1 and verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Paul here is basically reminding us that we can experience joy. We can, as he uses the word, rejoice while we take stock of our faith, our walk in Christ, and our true spiritual state. Even in the midst of suffering for our faith, we can count it all joy, is what Paul claims. We can rejoice. And then we move to Colossians chapter 2. And in verse 2 of Colossians 2, we read the goal of this actual journey that we're on. I'm going to just share what Colossians 2 2 says. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. The goal of my faith Paul's telling us, is to discover, and he, 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 he throws in with complete confidence. It's not just something I, I hope will happen. No, no, no. Paul says you are to discover, the goal of your spiritual growth is to discover with complete confidence his mysterious plan. Now, what do you think that mysterious plan is? It's the plan of salvation in Christ alone. Colossians 2.2. 2 that you can have full assurance that you have a saving faith that is true and living and can grow. But that journey then continues, and my goal for spiritual growth is to become more and more like Christ Jesus. And then Paul describes that for us in the verses we look at this morning, in verses 6 through verse 7 through to verse 10 in Colossians 2. He's describing to us the spiritual growth journey. And he, in fact, mentions that it's impossible to live this life without an outside partner. In verses 6 and 7, Paul's saying the Christ Christian life is impossible unless we choose to obey. Listen to God's word. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thanksgiving. Every, every Christian's goal in life is to be obedient. To be obedient in this spiritual walk, in this spiritual journey. My, my spiritual growth is actually a daily decision to dig deeper, to be intentional on a daily part, to be consistent, to be faithful. Now the first part of verse six in the original text text literally is translated like this as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him now whenever you see in scripture the little word therefore you need to stop and take a look and say why is this verse there what's it for what's it telling me there's something significant when you see that word therefore 
Paul is basically in this, this verse summing up what he's been saying in the previous verses, which actually has been a, an eloquent defense of, of the deity of Christ. And what is he saying? He's saying, in light of who Christ is, in light of what he has done on behalf of all that he has done for you, all his redeeming work, in light of this, therefore stand strong with complete confidence. You can stand, therefore, stand against the false teachers. In this case, Paul's been writing the book of Colossians because of these, this group of teachers called Gnostics. You need to stand against them and walk in the midst of them in Christ. Walk in Christ. To walk in Christ is just another way of saying to walk in union with Christ. To walk obediently with Christ. Walk as Jesus walked. Verse 6 is reminding us, he is the Lord. Follow your sovereign. Follow your monarchy. Follow your king. Exemplify, model him. This is what it means to walk in Christ. Now, I find it interesting to note that in the New Testament, in reference to Jesus, Jesus is referenced as Savior only two times in the New Testament, both in the book of Acts. However, he is referenced as Lord 92 times. Two times Savior, 92 times Lord. What do you think the emphasis of the New Testament is to you and me as his followers? He is Lord. I'm to exemplify my, he is the boss of my life. He is my king. I'm to walk in him. And to make Jesus Lord of my life, it's actually impossible if I don't receive Paul's counsel from verse 7 of Colossians chapter 7. Our obedience, our obedience is tied to being rooted, this is verse 7, rooted and built up in Christ. And Paul uses these two metaphors to describe the Christian life on a daily basis. Verse 7 says, let your roots grow down into him. He's saying, plunge, plunge our roots into the soil of Christ. Deeply. That takes effort. That takes time. That takes time in God's word on a daily basis. That's intentional. Plunge into the soil of Christ. Gain nourishment and make sure you are securely fastened to Christ. He is the very anchor and footing of your life. I mean, the general rule is, and I'm an artist, and a thing I love to paint more than anything else, if you see my work, are trees. I love trees. They're beautiful. They're magnificent. And the general rule when it comes to trees is that the visible spread, the visible spread of a tree that we see outside and the branches and the leaves and the fruit equal or roughly equal the invisible spread of the tree down below underneath the soil. The deeper, the wider our roots anchored in Christ, the greater the fruit, the greater the shade, the greater the beauty our lives offer to those people we come in contact on a daily basis. Verse 7 goes on to say, let your lives be built on him, then your faith will grow strong. 
after being rooted, anchored securely in Christ, meaning in essence that my identity is solely in Christ. My identity is not attached to my spouse, to my kids, to my talents, to my job, to my bank account, to my health. All of those things can be taken away. My identity is to be solely anchored to Christ and Christ alone. When I've got that straight, when I've rooted it, then I can build on that, a spiritual life. Uh, when I have that foundation, I can build on that uh, walk in Christ. 1 John 2, 6 declares, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Christ did. And then at the end of verse 7, it divulges the outcome. At the end of verse 7, the outcome of all this is of the, all this being rooted and built up in Christ. The outcome of being obedient, to have this obedient commitment to be intentionally rooting and, and building up in Christ is thankfulness. Gratitude. It's right there at the end of verse 7. Thankfulness. You will overflow with thanksgiving. I mean, show me a believer who is not characterized by gratitude, and I'll show you a believer who is not growing in their faith. Bitterness has just gotten in the way. It's, it's a huge impediment. I've been in pastoral ministry before taking on this role for almost 30 years. And I met many, many great people, but I knew they weren't growing. They hadn't been growing for years. Their bitterness showed that. You show me an individual who is growing in their faith and there is this, this, this thanksgiving, this thankfulness in their lives. Spiritual growth has all but ceased among those who are not thankful. They're spiritually coasting. It's so unfortunate. Uh, gratitude is the attitude. It is the attitude that best models this life of obedience and growing in our spiritual walk. It is the visible fruit of a thriving spiritual life. Well, in verse 8, Paul turns his, our attention from our will, uh, our intentional will to be rooted and built up. He changes it from our will to our thinking. He says there's a matter also of our thinking when he says we must think Christianly by single-mindedly pursuing Christ. In verse 8 we read, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. I heard the story of a social worker who chose to adopt one of the young boys who were under her charge. She, she fell in love with this young boy and she took him in and adopted him. He, he was unable to walk and, and a, an eminent surgeon in town for free said, I'll, I'll, I'll do the surgery. And he did the corrective surgery, and with some physiotherapy, the young boy not only began to walk for the first time, he ran, and he thrived as he was cared for by this social worker. Years later, one of her friends, a, a colleague in the same business, bumped into her and said, hey, what's happened to that son? He's now a man. I, what, what happened to him? And she said, I, I hate to tell you this, he's... he's uh, He's in prison, a life sentence for murder. I guess we spend so much time teaching him how to walk that we forgot to teach him where to walk, where to walk. In Colossians 2 and verse 6 and 7, Paul has taught us, taught us how to walk, how to walk, to be rooted and to be built up in Christ. But in verse 8, Paul's telling us where not to walk. Namely, he gives us some warnings about empty philosophies and human thinking. 
I mean, what's, what's Paul referencing in these, morn, in these warnings? He says there, there's the empty philosophies, or the NIV refers to it as deceptive philosophy. The ESV speaks of empty deceit. It's a recognition that everyone functions with some kind of worldview. In that sense, we're all philosophers. We're all following something. Whether we recognize it or not, we're following some set of beliefs and values. It's a worldview, a philosophy. In fact, the interesting thing is this word philosophy, English word philosophy, comes from two Greek words, phileo, to love, sophia, wisdom. It is the pursuit, the love of wisdom. All of us are philosophers in that sense. We're all pursuing a worldview. Our actions indicate that. What's Paul referring to specifically in this passage is the Gnostic teachers, these Christian, Christian, Christian Gnostic teachers who had infiltrated the church, who said that the, um, the material was evil and dark, and the very idea that something as supplying as the Christ, spiritually supplying as Christ, becoming a physical form is just nonsense. Don't believe it. They're denying the very humanity and divinity of Christ. Paul's response to them in verse 8 is, what you're espousing is nonsense. For Jesus has come, both in human form and deity. He is divine. And Paul says that if you follow this kind of nonsense, this spiritual, this worldview, it, view, it, it leads, he, he, he says at the end of chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it leads to legalism. Verse 18 and 19, mysticism. It leads to asceticism, verses 20 to 23. But Paul also referenced human thinking in verse 8. He renders it as human tradition. It's rendered as human tradition in both the NIV and the ESV. The background of this word is interesting, but it basically has the idea of something that is passed down to another. Whether you're passing down an heirloom, whether you're passing down a belief, when you're, whether you're passing down an idea or a ritual or a duty or an action, but the reality is that you may be passing down to a belief, but it doesn't necessarily make the belief true. Most philosophies are built on the work of previous philosophies. But philosophers take it and they, they, they modify it and they refine it and then they write a book and present it as original truth. What's inferred here in verse 8 is that if the system of thinking, refined or modified, or some worldview, if it doesn't start with Christ, it's not going to be adequate to guide you in life successfully. It's not going to be adequate to guide us to successfully grow in grace. If it starts with error, it provides nothing more than spiritual death rather than spiritual life. C.S. Lewis in his books, The Screwtape Letters, the demon Screwtape says to Wormwood, old error in new dress is ever error nonetheless. You know, the new age movement is really nothing new about it. It's just old pagan beliefs in a new dress. There's really not a whole lot new out there. It just gets marketed in a different way, in a fresh new way. There's nothing new to these things. Paul is warning followers of Christ to be careful not to allow counterfeit worldviews to slip in and to seep in to our thinking because they will be the very things that will be an impediment and hindrance to your spiritual growth. 
And you just got to watch Oprah for 25 years and so much gets seeped in. You start to think things that are not biblical. We have to be careful. Our thinking has to be well thought through. Lastly, Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10, Paul underscores, the Christian life is possible only if I'm complete in Christ. What does that mean? Let's read verse 9 and 10. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Verse 9 and verse 10 of Colossians 2 is saying that my goal for my spiritual growth is to become complete. Complete. That's the word Paul gives us. To become complete. And only Christ can complete me. Now, Verse 9 is likely one of the most definitive, definitive statements about the deity of Jesus in all the New Testament. If you've got someone who says, ah, Jesus was just a good teacher or a, a prophet, you need to bring them to Colossians chapter 9 and say, no, the word of God witnesses to the fact that he is divine, the Emmanuel, God with us. Deity. Jesus, by virtue of his deity, has the capacity to complete us. Now the word complete, again in the original Greek, has the understanding of fullness, to be made full, to be made full and made fully alive. It's the recognition that before we came to faith in Christ, we were in a state of spiritual incompleteness when we were completely separated from our God. We were also morally incomplete when we lived outside of God's will and lived it up but we were also mentally incomplete when we were completely unaware and possibly hostile to God's truth in his word. But when we were made complete in Christ, or when we were brought into union with Christ, some of the other translations refer to it, we have received Christ's fullness in our lives. And because of that, we have been made spiritually complete by experiencing full fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Once spiritual orphans, we have been brought and adopted into His family. We were made morally complete by recognizing the full authority of Christ. He is King. He is Lord. Ninety-two times we're told that in the New Testament. And we were made mentally complete when we responded to God's truth and finally learned the depths of the mysterious plan, Colossians 2.2, this plan of salvation. Christ presents us complete before the Father, redeemed by his atoning and redeeming work. We stand before the Father complete in the fullness of his grace, and we will receive Jesus' abundance, this abundance, this goodness that he's promised his children because we are complete in the sight of our Heavenly Father. William Randolph Hearst was a, a media multimillionaire in the early part of the 20th century. He was a great art lover and collected. He had warehouses full of artwork. He read of one piece that he just said he had to possess, no matter what. He had to add it to his treasure, no matter the price. He instructed his, his art agent to go find the painting, and the art agent scoured the, the art galleries of the world and struggled to find this painting that his uh, benefactor was so desperate to have. And after many, many months of searching, the art agent finally found the piece of work and was able to report to Randolph Hearst 
William Randolph Hearst, that in fact he, he, he owned the piece. It was sitting in one of his art warehouses and had been sitting there in a box for years. You, sir, you already own that treasured piece of artwork. Any Christian can live like this. Anyone. Anyone can live like this. Living impoverished, spiritualized, despite being complete in Christ. Living daily life without awareness of our true identity found in Christ and Christ alone. Living life without power because of our willful disobedience rather than obedience on a daily basis. Living life chasing for more, for more to fill my life, to make it whole, to fill it up when you already have the fullness of Christ available to you in your life. Settling for counterfeits when you already possess the original and can enjoy his fellowship forevermore. The goal of growth, the goal of my spiritual growth is to discover God's mysterious plan. Colossians 2 and verse 2. This wonderful, marvelous plan of salvation. And to know that my salvation, this saving faith, is sure and true and living. And then secondly, to become more and more like Christ. Colossians 2, verse 6 to 9. To know his fullness, to know the completeness that he provides for us in our lives and to become more and more and more like him so that the result of all of this huh, says right there at the end of verse 7 that I might be full of thanksgiving. That I might exude this attitude of gratitude. And my hope and prayer, beloved, is that that is true in your life. And that the next time I visit this church that you will be as thankful as I have seen you today. Because this is the evidence. This is the fruit of a group of people who are growing spiritually together. Make sure your faith is sure. And not like the chairman of the deacons board who wasn't and was in spiritual jeopardy. Make sure your faith is sure and then get intentional consistent about knowing that fullness that you will possess already in Christ. Amen? Let's pray to that end. Father, we thank you for this word. Paul is uh, so clear, so blunt about how, what it means to grow in grace and to know the fullness of the walk in Christ, to be rooted, to be built up, to be careful of those false teachings that can so subtly exude into our minds and that our lives would represent, be evidenced by an attitude of gratitude, a thanksgiving. I pray this for West Island Baptist Church. That this truly, collectively, would be the goal of their spiritual growth in the days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. That is the great task ahead of us as a local church to continue to pro proclaim Christ in our city and all around the world. Many of you are visiting with us today. We're so glad that you've responded to the invitation that we extended to you to come. You've been a part of West Highland perhaps in the past. Thank you for joining us today. You have honored us very, very much by this. I want everyone to know that we don't want you to leave right away because we have a ton of cake 
in the foyer. We have the best cake in Hamilton, about 700 or 800 pieces of it waiting for us out there in the foyer. So please stick around, grab a piece of that cake. It'll be a wonderful opportunity for you to have fellowship. There's some people wanting to go back there right away, I can see. But um, if you have kids downstairs, uh, please get your kids first, bring them upstairs. There's cake for them to the, I think the workers downstairs are, are starting to climb the walls. They've been down there so long. So please relieve them if you can. Also, if you are interested in a tour of our facilities, you've not seen the expansion and what we've done here, uh, if you go to the Welcome Center at the back, Graham Lowe is there, just ask for him, ask for Graham, and he'd be happy to take you on a tour. Also available in the foyer today is Michael Haken's book on the 50 years of West Highland. You might be in the book, the only way to find out is to buy a copy, so make sure you get a, cop a copy. So glad to have Pastor Brian standing next to me today, and I'm going to ask the first pastor of our church to pronounce our benediction. The words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, very relevant in the first century, very relevant in the 21st century. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you be rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.